Welcome to You Are What You Love, your window into the future of spirituality. We're going to talk to you about your life and the evolution of your soul while we bring alive the essence of eternal truth. So here is your host, the author of You Are What You Love, Waishali. Welcome to another exciting episode of You Are What You Love, and I'm Wishali, the wild child of the airwaves, the spiritual hostess with the wild woman mostess. And as you know, I am the beyond karma queen of radio and literature. I'm also the author of the book, You Are What You Love, and I want to formally and officially invite you to my website, Purple V is in very vivacious, purplev.com. There you can learn more about my book, You Are What You Love. You can even download Download a sample chapter of it to see if my voice resonates with you. You'll learn more about the individual sessions I give people called self-emergence sessions, because the idea is to help the true self emerge and separate from the stuff that you're here to grow beyond. I'm also thrilled to announce that I will be having another book that will be released shortly. It is called Wisdom Rising, and you can look forward to that book coming out in June. And as always, I want to invite you to go to youtube.com forward slash Purple Haze Press. And there's always a plethora of exciting videos there. So I want to invite you to that. And today I have a very, very special guest. And if you have read my book, You Are What You Love, you know that at the end of every single chapter, I punctuate that communication with a story. Stories are very effective ways to disseminate information and communicate information that can't be contained in words, but in a gestalt of a story. And today, my guest happens to be the story that appears at the end of chapter eight in my book, You Are What You Love. If you've got You Are What You Love on your bookshelf, Run, Don't Walk, to page 279. And there you will see my next guest. He is one of the most researched NDEers. And for those of you who are not familiar with the NDE, it is near-death experience. He is a fascinating man. He's also somebody I am privileged to call friend. And ladies, take note, he's also a hot babe. So let me give you some backstory. In 1982, Mellon Thomas died of terminal brain cancer and survived to tell about it. While in hospice care, Mellon died and was without any vital signs for at least an hour and a half before he returned to his body. That's right. You heard that correctly. He died and was without vital signs for at least an hour and a half before he returned to his body. Mellon Thomas is one of the most studied NDE cases in the world and has taken part in more research in think tanks than any other near-deather. While on the other side, Mellon journeyed through several realms of consciousness and beyond the light at the end of the tunnel. He was shown in holographic detail Earth's past and beautiful future of mankind for the next 400 years. He experienced the cosmology of our soul's connection to Mother Earth, also known as Gaia, our manifest destiny, and was gifted with access to universal intelligence. Since his near-death experience, or NDE, Mellon Thomas has maintained his direct access to universal intelligence and returns to the light at will, enabling him to be a bridge between science and spirit. With humor and depth of feeling, he shares his experiences and insights. He brings back a message of hope and inspiration for humanity, delivered with joy and clarity that is breathtakingly refreshing. His depth of feeling and passion for life is a gift to be shared. And I want you to run, don't walk, to his website, which is melon, M-E-L-L-E-N hyphen Thomas, T-H-O-M-A-S, melon hyphen Thomas com. So without further delay, Melon, my darling, I am so excited to share you with the world. How are you today? Doing just fine. It's uh, good to be with you and uh, sharing this time with you. You know, darling, your story is one of the most mind-bending, soul-altering stories. When I first came across your story, and that's why it's in my book, You Are What You Love, I put down your story after I finished reading it and just collected what I was going through at that moment. And in 
and the interior, you when you hear your story, you register that this is one of those stories, this informational uh, invitations to seeing reality in a greater way that once you're exposed to that story, you know you will never be the same. And for our listening audience who's Melon Thomas, Melon hyphen slash Thomas virgins and have not been privy to your story, I I couldn't imagine a better introduction than to let them hear your story in your own words. Well, thank you. Uh, my story is one uh, with someone who was completely unprepared for the experience. Of course, I don't know how you can be prepared, really. Um, but in 1981, I was diagnosed with a, a terminal brain cancer, inoperable and incurable at the time, given uh, six to eight months to live. Um, at that time, I had uh, no real spiritual foundation. I wasn't uh, even an atheist. I had no interest in spirituality. I'd never heard the word near death before. I'd never heard the word uh, hospice before. <laughs> I ended up in one and uh, was pretty much a pretty unhappy camper. I was not the most pleasant person in the world to uh, be around, especially in a hospice situation, because I, uh, I literally uh, had lived a life <clears throat> believing what the experts had been saying. And of course, uh, you know, I lived through the Cold War and the beginnings of ecology and all of uh, those kind of movements. And um, I really believed what the experts were saying way back even in the 60s that um, mankind had gone wrong and there was no way, even if we stopped all human activities at that time, that we could uh, save the planet. And uh, I, I, I believed that. I really believed what the experts were saying at that time. And, uh, you know, they say it's a straw that broke the camel's back. In my case, it was one photograph that I believe gave me my disease. And that photograph was a photograph put out by a uh, well-meaning uh, ecology group. And it was a photograph of the aerial photograph of the city of Los Angeles compared right next to it, a micro photograph of a human cancer cell. And they are so similar, it was astounding. And when I saw that, it clicked in my mind that nature had gone wrong and created a malignant cancer on planet Earth named humanity. And from that moment on, in my heart of hearts, I believed that mankind was a mistake and that we were a cancer. And years and years later of that thinking, I ended up with brain cancer. So, um, you know, that, I, I always warn people, believe, uh, be careful what you believe in. It could come back on you. That's one of the really reinforcing themes in your story is choose your worldview judiciously because you have to live it. And at the time when you were looking at this photo, were you cognizant that there was an uh, internalization of this cancer story that you were taking this on with your worldview? No, no clue at all. I was thick as a brick. Uh, never crossed my mind that uh, spending years thinking this, and also because of that thinking, I also believed that the world was probably going to end in my lifetime. So why start a family? Why get involved in all of these long-term plans? And so I lived a rather uh, shallow life, actually, uh, until the day I was diagnosed. And we're going to jump ahead. You've been diagnosed with inoperable brain cancer. And you move into hospice, and what happens there? You, you made some arrangements with your hospice caretaker. Tell us about that. Yes, I was, I was very blessed because I was, uh, again, unprepared, had, had no knowledge of what to do. And through, through a friend, I met a woman uh, named Susan who had had hospice training and was the first person to ever mention the word to me. And she suggested uh, and offered to be my hospice caretaker, and uh, I took her up on it. Uh, one thing I didn't realize um, was that uh, once, we, once I moved into the hospice situation is that she was a Christian and I was not. And so uh, suddenly I found myself in a situation with a, a beautiful woman, an angel, who was seriously concerned about my soul and re would repeatedly ask me to pray with her, and that would just make me angry. I got very angry at her many, many times. And in fact, at one point, uh, I actually uh, cussed her out and stormed out of, the, um, out of the house and got to the end of the sidewalk, and it suddenly dawned on me, where are you going? You're already at the end of the road. And I can tell you that's the longest walk I've ever made in my life was turning around and walking back to that door and knocking on the door. Uh, Susan graciously opened the door, invited me back in, asked me if I wanted some milk, which was at that time one of the only things I could take into my body. And um, 
uh, never asked me to pray with her again, and we never argued again. Uh, she looked over me like an angel. And in your uh, information phase, when you were gathering all this information about the delicate mortality of the planet and how you were fully expecting for it to self-annihilate in your lifetime, uh, you also did some other research on what exactly is out there when you die? What, what, what do we know about that? Would you, would you share with us about when you turned your attention towards looking at what we know about what happens when you die and, and what process that put you through? Well, it actually wasn't much of one, actually. I had never been interested in the subject, and there happened to be a, uh, some books in, in the house um, that I was staying in, and um, one of the books was on world religions, and that was pretty much the only research I did, which uh, none of it really registered with me, but I was curious as um, what was going to happen to me next. I had no idea. I really just thought the lights were going to go out, and that would be the end of it, frankly. Okay, so let's jump ahead to the morning that you died? Um, I, did, I did end up succumbing to my disease, and um, I do remember um, waking up early one morning around sunrise with the feeling that today was the day. And uh, um, I then fell back to sleep again, and the next thing I realize is that I'm standing uh, outside of my body, looking at my body in bed, wondering, who is that? And it, then it dawned on me, well, that looks like me. It is me, but how can that be? It was so vivid, uh, as vivid as being fully awake. And uh, uh, I then began to panic. I, I got very scared and began to panic. Um, I did uh, uh, try to wake up my um, caretaker, and she was, she was still asleep. I found myself in her room trying to shake her, but she was asleep, and nothing I was doing could get through to her. I then found myself back in the room, except this time um, uh, this light that was coming off my body was now dimming. And when the light dimmed completely on my body, and, and I suppose that was when all the life energy had left, uh, I was then surrounded in the most incredible darkness I've ever experienced. It's uh, the most alone feeling you can ever imagine. And um, at that moment, um, my life review began, what they now call a life review. I, I didn't understand what was happening. I just saw holographic movies spinning around me of my entire life. And it seemed to tick backwards from the moment of my death to the moment of my conception, actually. Uh, and in that life review, um, I got to see all the interconnections of my life. I got to see that my life did make sense, although it wasn't a, a great story or a pretty story or uh, an exciting story that I had lived. But I could see uh, the interactions between myself and all the significant people I'd ever dealt with, friends, family, animals. Uh, and I got to uh, see that we make millions of connections um, every day of our lives with everything that we see, everything that we speak, everything that we hear. We make millions of connections, it seemed like, between everything around us. And so I was able to see both sides of the story and more than both sides in some cases of stories of events that had happened in my life. And uh, my, my unprocessed life issues came up, came up time and time again um, uh, as fear, as uh, ignorance. And uh, it was a very frightful uh, kind of an experience in the beginning for me as my life uh, ticked away. Um, my life review uh, covered uh, the large and small events in my life, and surprisingly, it was uh, mostly the small events in my life that seemed more heroic or more significant, actually. Uh, the day I saved a turtle from being run over in the road and risked my own life without even thinking about it. These things that we all do in our lives that we don't think much about are actually fairly heroic events. Um, I found myself uh, winding back and back through my life. I got to see the relationship between my parents. I got to see a lot of things um, that had happened to me uh, that people had done in my life, you know, people betray you, people lie to you, people are mean to you uh, uh, from time to time. And I got to see that quite often, in fact, almost all the time, it's really not about you. It's something they're going through. And that surprised me to see that uh, some of the things that have been done to me uh, by my father, by friends, by uh, strangers, uh, had not even really been about me. It had been about their stuff, not my stuff. Um, I got to see things that my, um, my 
parents had never told me about um, because supposedly I was too young to know these things. Years later, I would tell this story to my mother, and she'd say, you, you can't possibly know this, and most of this, you weren't even born yet. And um, one thing I did see, my mother uh, divorced my mother, uh, my, my uh, biological father, fairly early in my life. And uh, she was a mother that never spoke badly about her ex-husband. So I didn't know really what the story was. I only had flash memories that I had repressed. And that was another thing that was sort of hellish, is that we all repress memories, especially when we're very, very young, because we don't understand what's going on or because they were frightening or spooky. And these, uh, these unprocessed, repressed memories suddenly were very vivid and it was like I had lived a life I didn't know I had lived and I'd been affected by so many things that I re that I really had repressed one of the things was uh, my my biological father was an alcoholic and quite often beat my mother when I was young and I had repressed these memories uh, amazing how we can do these things I had repressed them I also uh, experienced uh, what it was like being a fetus in my mother's belly and I also experienced my uh, father trying to uh, beat her when she was pregnant and I, I was in my mother's belly I was fully conscious of what she was conscious of I was directly connected to her nervous system I could feel everything she was feeling I could feel her thinking that she was going to die and she was trying to protect the baby and every time my uh, father hit my mother it was like red thunder went off and very frightening so I, I can tell you that I believe that fetuses are fully conscious they're as conscious as the mother is and directly connected and uh, I think people should uh, look at it that way fetuses are fully conscious for me uh, what happened was uh, it made me angry very angry I was that was like the f one of the first f true feelings I ever remember and I wasn't even born yet and what had happened in that time had set the course of my life even before I was born and didn't realize that I was born angry and didn't realize that I had stayed angry to the day I died Fascinating. It really goes to show the repercussions of what gets set into motion. Uh, when you say that you went back to the moment of conception, there's always a lot of question about when that happens. Is it at the moment that the sperm meets the egg? Is it so many months down the line? Uh, do you have any thoughts or comments on that? For me, um, it was... Uh, it was when um, the, the sperm and the egg were joined, and, and um, that created a light, and it became a light that I was looking at. And uh, when I came to that light, then my uh, life review ended, and I was then left alone in darkness again. We're talking to Mellon Thomas, and I want to encourage you to go to his website, M-E-L-L-E-N hyphen Thomas, T-H-O-M-A-S. Deepak Chopra has called Mellon Thomas the encyclopedia of the afterlife. He called him that in Deepak Chopra's book, Life After Death. And Mellon Thomas's story appears at the end of Chapter 8 in my book, You Are What You Love. And I want to encourage you to go to my website as well, Purple V, V is in vivacious, purplev.com, and you can download a chapter of You Are What You Love. The reason that I pulled Mellon's story into my book is the end of every chapter, I punctuate that chapter with a story that I think best articulates the ultimate truth that have been unfolding in the preceding chapters. And there was no better way to encapsulate the greater truth that I had been like breadcrumbs laying down for our readers than your story. So you're just finished. You've died. You've been, for those who have just joined us, you were diagnosed with inoperable brain cancer. You were in a hospice care situation. You died. We just went through your panoramic life review. And now you're back in the darkness. What happens next? Um... I was in this darkness that was so alone, and I uh, still had all of my unprocessed life issues um, like surrounding me and, and squeezing me. And 
um, something really interesting happened um, at that time. I really thought I was going to be stuck in that darkness forever. It, that's what I felt. That's what I, I was uh, thinking, so to speak. I'm, oh, this is where I ended up. And um, I called out for help, uh, as any drowning person would or any uh, scared person would. And to my amazement, um, uh, angel appeared. And I'm someone who never believed in angels. I believed they were figurines, uh, figments of the imagination. And an, uh, a very large golden angel that appeared as a figurine uh, to me, uh, but was alive, it seemed like, appeared to me. And uh, you know, not having any real spiritual background or knowledge, the first thing I asked was, are you the angel of death? And the angel said, I am Melon, and explained that the angel was my higher self-connection, my guardian angel that we all have. And uh, that astounded me that uh, some of those stories had been correct in many ways. Um, I then asked the angel, am I stuck here forever? Is this the end? How do I get out of here? And the angel said, um, uh, you need to connect with the, with the light. And I had been noticing this speck of light uh, far away from me, like a di lone distant star in the darkness. And uh, the angel uh, instructed me to connect with that light. And I said, how do I do that? And the angel said, first look at the light in your heart. And I, I looked, and there was a little light in me. And there's a little light in every single one of us. We're, we're all directly connected. The angel said, you are directly connected to that, uh, that light. And, um, uh, but nothing happened. And I said, why am I, why am I still here? And the angel said, well, you have to love your life. And for me, that meant come to peace with my life before I could go any further. And I thought that was impossible. I, I just thought it was impossible in the moment. And so what seemed like a mini eternity went by as I, I tried to find something in my life that I could love. And I finally did find uh, that love. And the light in my, uh, my um, heart, metaphorical heart, then connected with the light. And that's when I began to move towards the light in what they now call sort of a tunnel of light, although it wasn't exactly a tunnel. But uh, it was uh, a light shining on me that uh, was both coming and going. And, of course, scientists know today that light can both send and transmit information. And uh, this is what I was experiencing. And as I moved to the light, uh, I noticed, uh, and I asked the angel about this. I said, why is some light coming and some light going? And the angel said, the, um, the light that is going are all the souls being born today, and the light that is uh, going to the light are all the souls that are passing over today, and I was in that group of passing over. <laughs> and, um, but um, uh, I'll put a bookmark here to say that um, I've had many, many years to go back to the light. In fact, um, until PMH Outwater and Dr. Ken Ring worked with me, I didn't realize that some of the things I, were, I was doing after my near-death experience were unusual and the first time they'd heard of it, one of which is that I, uh, ever since my near-death experience, have been returning to the light uh, daily and at will for uh, think tanks and other groups. Uh, this has been well documented. Um, I, uh, I now have 20-some years of going back to the light and asking more questions and getting more clarification. So now I fully understand and have assimilated the experience, and I can talk about this experience in a metaphorical uh, language or in quantum physics even. So, um, uh, so I want people to understand that as I talk through this, I may be talking at about three different levels at the same time. But as I, as I moved to the light uh, and came to the light, um, the first thing I said to the light was, like I guess any good atheist or non-believer is, are you God? <laughs> I mean, what else could this be? Um, the euphoria, and this is something uh, near-deathers will all tell you, the euphoria, the, the, the love, the bliss of being with the light is un unimaginable at this level. I can tell you now from the many trips back to the light uh, what part of this is. Part of it is that you've left your body, and this body is grounded in a survival, very heavy gravity world of, you know, bills, life and death matters, uh, all kinds of stuff. And until you drop that, you just really don't know how much weight you're carrying every day in this world. It's astounding that we each and every one of us get through the day somehow, some way. Um, but once that has been lifted from you and you, you've left that dimension, you're suddenly free. And that is a euphoric experience. It's almost unimaginable. Uh, uh, never thinking how to 
pay the rent again, never starving, never be hurting, never to be hurt again. It's a euphoric experience. And so I was experiencing that euphoria. So I imagine this, this was God uh, that I was looking at. And I want everybody to know that the, uh, what I've learned is that uh, your death experience or near-death experience is totally unique to you. It's a unique, individual, discrete event. So that a uh, Christian will have a typically Christian event, uh, a Jew will have a, a, a Jewish event, a, a Muslim will have a Muslim-oriented event, and it goes on and on. A pygmy, I believe, will have a pygmy-oriented event. Um, and so when the light speaks to you, it speaks to you like you've never had anyone speak to you in your life because it knows you. It seems like it knows you, and it knows exactly how to speak to you. So when I asked the light, uh, are you God, the light said to me, who and what is not God? And I instantly understood for the first time that if I had to describe God to you, I would have to describe every single thing in the universe, and that would take forever. So the best answer for me was who and what is not God. There is nothing real or imagined that is not God stuff. Powerful, sweetheart. Um, so this is a point I want to stop at uh, and kind of underscore here, because this is one of the life-altering things that I learned from you is that you can ask questions when you die. You're not on some kind of involuntary roller coaster ride where you don't get to put your issues on the table or talk or participate fully. That's uh, that's the other thing that uh, both uh, um, PMH Atwater and Ken Ring said that they've, as far as they know, I'm the first person to ever realize that to stop my uh, near-death experience in the moment and realize it was interactive. And uh, at that moment, I, uh, I asked the light, can I stop this right here? I've got a few questions. And the light said, no, no problem. Uh, what do you want? And there was no pressure. Uh, I then realized that um, this was just as an interactive experience as living here on Earth. It's just as interactive. Your death experience, your, your near-death experience is a very interactive experience. So take your time with it. Enjoy it. Explore. And so I had, um, I had, it seemed like an eternity, although it seems like one second now, to ask the light. I was a very curious person. I had a lot of questions, and um, I spent uh, a glorious amount of time with the light um, asking every question I could think of, even, even things I'd even um, had the simplest thoughts about. And the light answered to my satisfaction and to my understanding all of my questions. And I had many, many questions uh, about um, science, the future. One of the, one of the first questions I asked the light, low, though, was I had died thinking that nature had gone wrong, or if there was a God, God couldn't be all that smart and make humans and make a world like this. That was my opinion. If there was a God, uh, God wasn't too smart. But... Um, one of the first questions I asked, because this was my main issue crossing over, uh, why is humanity so dark and doomed and evil? And um, at that moment, the uh, light turned into a, a living mandala. Uh, for people that don't know what a mandala is, it's almost like those round stained glass windows in the cathedrals in Europe. And the light turned into a, a mandala of living human souls. And I was, I was like breathed into the center of it. And I was, it seemed like I could look into the soul of every human that ever lived, including my own soul. And I was astounded to see no darkness, no evil anywhere at all. That is all an illusion at the core essence of your being. And at that moment, uh, I fell in love with humanity. Is this sense that there's evil out there, this disassociating people from their divinity, is that part of the human packaging that's got so much inherent survival issues and, and agendas? One of the things I learned on the other side was to look at things from the Gaia perspective, uh, G-A-I-A, -A, which is looking at uh, the entire Earth, solar system, and universe as a living system, not separate from myself at all. Um, what I did learn was that uh, humans in our present state are very new. We're very new. We're very young. We're the youngest thing on the planet, and yet we have the oldest DNA on the planet. Our DNA is sort of the book of life of everything that's happened on this planet and in the universe, basically. Uh, and that every nine months in gestation, you relive the entire evolution of planet Earth and the universe 
And uh, you know, there are times when, um, in the, when, when you're a fetus, you start out as a single cell, and you go through, you know, uh, fish-looking, dinosaur-looking. You have a tail, you have gills, you have all this to to come out being a human. So every time that you're uh, born, you relive the entire uh, evolutionary experience of the Earth and the universe up till this moment. Um, constantly upgraded every time that you're reborn. So I understood for the first time that why we look at things the way we do is because we're children still. We're the youngest babies on this planet. And, um, you know, there's a time when children are very young. They don't consider feelings of anyone else. It's all about them. They are the center of the universe. And in my book that I'm, I'm writing, there's a chapter called The Galileo Effect. I remember when Galileo and Copernicus were saying that the Earth is not the center of the universe that we're in fact part of a greater universe. Well, that's what's about to happen to humanity as we mature as a species. We're about to grow up. We're about to see things in a much bigger picture than we ever have before. So all these things that we call evil, all these things that we consider negative are really metaphors for uh, coming up through a... We, we've come up through a very um, physical survival-oriented existence from ground one on planet Earth. We have to fight gravity every day. We have to breathe. We, uh, in, in the past, we've had to, you know, going out to dinner 6,000 years ago was very different than going out to dinner to, not, to now. You know, nowadays we get stressed out picking out what restaurant 6,000 years ago. You could be dinner just as well. <laughs> He went out to dinner. So you have to look at stress in, in, a, in a bigger perspective. Do we really have that much stress today? Or are we just uh, you know, crying little babies about, about the whole thing? So I got to, I got to see that humanity is, is the youngest um, species on planet Earth, and we're, we're growing up rapidly and quickly now. And I also got to see that we are the last species on planet Earth um, because there's much more that's about to happen uh, in our future. I want to remind our listening audience that my guest today is Melon Thomas, and his website is Melon, M-E-L-L-E-N hyphen Thomas, T-H-O-M-A-S, MelonThomas.com. And Dr. Kenneth Ring, author of Heading Towards Omega, The Omega Project, says Melon Thomas has the big picture. His story is one of the most remarkable I have encountered in extensive research on near-death experiences. It is a very rare that those who have died and returned have seen into the future to the extent that Mellon has. His vision of the future is one of hope. He has participated in studies at a major university where he contributed to the understanding of the structure of genes and chromosome coding for a genetic disease, while researchers are puzzled over how he could have access to this information. And I want to remind you all that Mellon's story appears at the end of Chapter 8 in my book, You Are What You Love. And you can learn more about my book by going to my website, Purple V. V is in very vivacious. And it is the most beautiful purple website in all of internet land. And Melon, I'm glad you alluded to this book of yours. You're in the process now of writing a book that'll give people more of an in-depth story about your journey and what you saw into the future. Is that correct? Yes, I've, um, I've been waiting. I was um, in some of my visits with the light early on. I was told it would be probably about 20 years before my story would be ready to be told. And it's about that time now. And um, also about 90 percent of my story is not on the internet. Uh, my, my book's going to have all the details uh, that um, I think will amaze people. There are many, many more details to the story. Well, there's so many dimensions of layered experience and knowledge and wisdom that i got to imagine that it'll be very challenging to have anyone telling of the story contain it all. Well, yes, that's why this is the first book of probably many to come. Great. And uh, obviously, we'll have to have you back on the show. What is the name of your book going to be? Uh, right now, the working title is Journey Through the Light and Back. Great. Well, we'll have to keep our audience updated on Journey Through the Light and Back. But I know that one of the things that our listening audience is on the edge of their seat about is you got this glimpse into the future. And if, like, your earlier incarnation before you died of brain cancer when you were reading all this you're an information junkie out there reading whatever the latest and greatest thing is that's being shoved down our throat by the media at large people today are getting a great 
pessimistic stories about the possibility of uh, our ecology surviving. If you listen to CNN, it's just amazing. We haven't already combusted just out of the problems that exist in how we relate to ourselves health-wise, politically, let alone environmentally. So since I don't need to go into great detail about that, I'm sure our audience is already over-inundated with what the general story is about the bleak future that we have, what would you like to say about what you saw? How would you like to reframe this from somebody who actually isn't isn't surmising from an agenda, but from somebody who actually had a front row and center view into that future? Well, um, the one thing is that people have to have a bigger picture look. The minutia of what's going on will make you crazy, but the big picture really does make sense and does work out. And that the big picture is you also have, a, have to have a historical sense of what uh, humanity's been through since, uh, since uh, our, our civilizations began. And uh, frankly, most people look back at the wars humanity have had and count that. But, you know, humanity has had um, uh, not that many wars considering all the time that we've been around. And in fact, I was shown on the other side uh, when I asked that question, why, why is humanity so dark? I was shown that um, th- there's, a, there's, there's beings on Earth that have done more damage than human beings will ever do. In fact, one of them was on the cover of National Geographic last year. I was shown the destruction, uh, both in human terms and physical terms and animal terms, of just what the mosquito has done on planet Earth. The mosquito has killed more people and animals than all the human wars ever put together. It may shock people to hear. I was shown that human beings are the most graceful beings on this planet, and we bring grace to this planet that has never been here before, and this grace uh, is growing and growing. Uh, so um, we we have tended to be tuned to the negative survival uh, material because it's been very important to know, you know, where the bad guys are and where the tar pits are and, you know, where the crooks are and, and things like that. It's important to know in a survival-oriented world. But it is, it is, there are more good things going on on planet Earth every day than there ever are negative things going on. It's just that uh, the media, you know, believes in, if it, uh, you know, the, the saying, I think, is if it, if it doesn't bleed, it doesn't read. Uh, there is plenty of good news going on. And if in fact, that's the saving grace of this planet is that most humans are so good, it's amazing, if they're not bombed or stressed out or starved to death. The average human on planet Earth would not hurt you if it was legal to hurt you, if there were no karmic um, ramifications. The average human would never hurt you. And how many times have you heard stories where a stranger gives another human their kidney? They don't even know the person. Um, that is the that is so the, the most beautiful thing about the saving grace of this planet, um, and we have been through such. Big, big things in the past, bigger than we have right now. I mean, the 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 the, the plagues of the dark ages. Uh, uh, we have humanity has been through everything, and the planet has been through everything the universe can throw at it, and we're still here. Um, so uh, you have to look at it a little bit differently and see the grace in things, because if you only see the negativity in things, it will it will tend to make you crazy. We do need to uh, be wiser, and we are getting wiser. Uh, we do need to pick leaders that know what they're doing. Uh, I think it's very strange that at this very time in history, the only people that seem to be lost are, are, are our leaders. Isn't that interesting? It, isn't that uh, just poetically ironic? <laughs> um, the truth is that history is made by the individuals, not by governments, really, and not by very famous people or despots or kings or emperors. History is made by the individual. And the next level of human consciousness that I saw is, is incredible. And uh, it could only happen now. It could never have happened before this time in history. And that is that we are, no matter what you see on the news, um, uh, and believe me, I believe the experts till, till the day they killed me. And it's, it always turns out, haven't you noticed, that years later the experts were wrong. And they always tend to be more wrong than they've ever been right. So, um, uh, so why do we listen to them like we do? 
the, the real facts are that humanity has survived everything that it's been challenged with. And at this time in history, and it's the first time in history that we can technically bring heaven to earth, and there's some resistance to that, of course, because of corporations and, and old survival world uh, mentalities. But technically, we are already, and this is the beauty of it all, uh, we are technically in a, in, in a time in history now where we can technically... Uh, feed, clothe, educate, and comfort every human on earth. It's technically possible. Uh, the thing is that we have um, uh, uh, philosophies and uh, governments and political things that are keeping us from doing this. But we have to remember that uh, the most powerful person in the world is just a fish in a sea of us. And the sea is about to wake up and become fully conscious, and that is us. It's, it's not only possible, it's inevitable. That's beautiful, sweetheart. I want to kind of shift gears a little and ask about earth changes. There's a lot of earth changes happening right now. Is this part of 2012? Is this just typical of the evolution of, of a living being, which Gaia is a living being? What are these earth changes about? Again, um, look at the big picture in cosmic time. Uh, the last 10,000 years on planet Earth have been an absolute gift to us, absolute gift of uh, relative stability. Uh, if we had an ice age right now and all the populations were pushed into small areas, we would have something like happen on Easter Island, which wouldn't be very pretty. Um, earth changes, when have we not had earth changes? The Earth is more stable now than it's ever been in the past. And... Um, so the uh, the 2012 predictions, all of these are, are about, I was shown on the other side that we're, we're living in a time now where, where we will see the end of the ancient prophecies. They're all ending in our lifetime. 2012, uh, 2021, or 2060 is the latest legitimate uh, old prophecy um, that exists. And these will all come and go, and we will still be here. Um, so um, what's happening in Earth Changes is that um, uh, this is something I was shown also from the Gaia point of view, is that in the really big picture, um, stars, planets, um, systems have lives. They have cycles that they go through. Uh, we will eventually, our manifest destiny is not, we can't stay here forever. It's, our manifest destiny is to leave this planet in the future and colonize other planets. Uh, and this will start happening in the next uh, 300 years or so. Um, we do have already everything that we need to solve our problems. We don't need to be on oil. That's an illusion. Um, healing technologies. There are more scientists, therapists, healers, uh, people working on these issues that we have now than ever before in history. Hundreds of thousands of people are every day of their lives working on these issues for us. And so uh, even the couch potato that does nothing will not be forgotten. And in the end, nothing is lost and everything has been gained. But eventually, we, we will have to leave this planet. Our sun's getting old and cranky and we're coming into a solar maximus. And so what we're experiencing right now is fairly typical in cycles. Um, it's just that our, our education system doesn't really teach us much history now. And so it, every time anything happens, uh, especially Americans think the sky is falling. And it isn't. Uh, that We've been through this before. We've been through much worse than this. Certain Certainly we need to steward and conserve. Certainly we need to get off of uh, fossil fuels, which we can do very rapidly now if we choose to. It's not up to them. It's up to us in the end. And uh, But eventually uh, the sun will die. Eventually, no matter what we do, the earth will die. Its life energy will give out when its liquid magnetic core cools. Uh, and we're losing the moon at an inch and a half a year. Uh, the moon is the only thing that keeps us really stable and gives us uh, predictable seasons and predictable climates as we know them. Uh, this will not be maintained forever, but uh, we. So the habitable time on planet Earth uh, is getting shorter and shorter. Actually, I mean, you know, ten thousand years, five thousand years, depending on whoever you want to talk to, about really comfortable times on Earth. But our manifest destiny is to move on anyway. We are like the little birds that at some point must leave the nest. And that's why there's so much interest in science, and that's why NASA, you know, if you check out the NASA website, they're discovering new planets every day. And so it turns out uh, there are plenty of places for us to go in the future. We'll, we will solve every problem that we have. In fact, I challenge people in my workshops to whatever problem you have, I can show you ten answers that already exist. 
So the, the, the issue today is, and I was warned about this on the other side, that uh, we're living in sort of a hypnosis in our culture. And um, what's interesting is people seem to be much more interested in the questions than the answers. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it? And that's a good description of the group hypnosis that we all seem to be caught up in. Mm-hmm. I want to remind our listening audience that you're listening to Mellon Thomas, and his website is M-E-L-L-E-N hyphen Thomas, T-H-O-M-A-S, Mellon hyphen Thomas dot com. He is going to be releasing a book about his over an hour and a half NDE or near-death experience. It will be called Journey Through the Light and Back. We can look forward to that sometime in 2008. We'll clearly have him back. In the meantime, there's 11 pages of his story that appears at the end of Chapter 8 in my book, You Are What You Love. And you are welcome to go to my website, purplev.com, and you can learn more about my book, and you can even download the first chapter of the book to see if my voice resonates with you. And we have about about eight minutes left. So the one of the things that I, I wanted to ask you, sweetheart, because we're all fascinated with the potential that the future holds for us, is how do you see the people of the future looking back and viewing us? What will they think about us? Well, um, um, and that's one of the more significant things that surprised me uh, in my exploration uh, with the light. It turns out the people of the future look back on us who are living now as the giants of all of history. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that not how we would categorize ourselves at all? It's very, very similar to, uh, you know, when the American Revolution was happening and this George Washington guy was running around getting everybody stirred up. Most people didn't participate in the revolution, and I'm sure George had no idea how America itself would turn out. And um, so we, living in these times, which are the Industrial Revolution, because it turns out the Industrial Revolution was a small blip on the screen of our history. Uh, all of our history to that point was non-industrial. All of our history after a certain point in the near future is going to be non-industrial, and we will be set free. Everything that our blood, sweat, and tears have gone into, we have put everything into this industrial revolution. We have become uh, an industrial animal, and we're going to have to evolve out of that. That's why every machine, every thing that's ever been made has human spirit in it. It's the spirit in the machine. Um, and... The, this will eventually lead to a point in the very near future, and, and is right now, we're leaving us with so many tasks that humans don't need to do anymore, because the, the future is, is thinking of a time in which you don't have to work anymore. That's not necessary. Isn't that a paradigm shift? Isn't it? I was shown on the other side, I asked, well, how, how is this actually going to happen? And I was shown on the other side the life of Jules Verne. Remember he invented science fiction? Right, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Mm -hmm. And in and, and his time, uh, everything he wrote about didn't exist, and the technologies uh, didn't exist or, or were just barely even being thought about. I was shown that the, the beauty of this and the miracle of it is that all the children that read those books by Jules Verne went out and invented everything and more that they read about. And I was shown also that, oddly enough, that Star Trek is the Jules Verne's of the planetary culture now. Because uh, 24, hour, 24 hours a day, anywhere on planet Earth, there's uh, Star Trek episodes being played. And if you look at the Star Trek episodes, everything our children see in these episodes, uh, the food replicators, um, everything will be invented and is right now being invented by our children. It's, uh, it's a beautiful metaphor for how we work through these things and that there's always answers just around the corner or just over the horizon that no one imagines. No one predicted the Internet. No one predicted television. No one even predicted the fax machine. Uh, in fact, Bill Gates didn't even think the Internet was going to turn into very much. And he was a top guy of our time. Um, so always be ready for these surprises that come over the horizon that will change your future and answer questions in many, many ways. And what's beautiful about Star Trek is that it isn't about people working because they have to work. Um, in the future, and I, I ask people to start thinking about this, what would you do with your life if you didn't have to actually work to pay the rent or to get food? And that is our manifest destiny because we were... 
created to be more than industrial animals, to be more than animals, and we are about to assume that as we mature as a species. But the people of the future revere us uh, living today. They, they, the awesome sacrifices that we made, uh, the blood, the sweat, and the tears, it all added up to set us free in the end. You know, I just love this idea of seeing a chokehold put on the Puritan work ethic in my lifetime. That, that, that does it for me, sweetheart. Um, and I really appreciate this description you have of how we creatively inseminate our own imagination as if we knew where we needed to go and we find a very creative way of providing that impetus and that incubation for that the, to give birth to that ultimate expression through Jules Verne and Star Trek. And uh, I know there have been plenty of people that I've heard say in the science field that they were motivated by exactly what you're talking about, that that planted the seed within them of what direction to take in their own pioneering of possibility. Um, there's something else I wanted. We've only got about three minutes, so I, I wanted to be sure that I at least got a minute or two in on this. Talk to me about tricks with fish. <laughs> That's a, a chapter in my book. Tricks with fish is about this uh, time coming in the future, and we're, we're technically on, on the beginnings of it now. Tricks with fish is, remember the story of Jesus on the mountain feeding the uh, masses with um, a couple of fish in a basket? Absolutely. Uh, that's, that's a metaphor for food replication technology. Um, uh, for feeding the masses, um, and uh, this is um, a, a metaphor that gets me into the sort of um, uh, technologies that will be coming about. You've heard of manifestors. Well, we also have to realize that every machine, including your car, is a mind machine. Every machine, every object you look at came from the mind. And so we're dealing with mind machines all around us, and very soon we're going to have manifestation technology, replication technology to... Um, replicate the highest quality of food as much as you want. In the future, gold and diamonds have no meaning except the original meaning of them, ceremonial. Uh, when you can have all the diamonds in the world at the push of a button, uh, it, no, it loses its um, value as power. Um, it becomes ceremonial and precious again. And so um, we will be able to feed and clothe and comfort, educate every human on earth. And the population is going to go up uh, a little bit more. It needs to. We've not hit critical mass yet in human consciousness because it's not about your IQ. It's not about your guru. Um, it's not about any of that in the end. What it's about is there are not enough of us been born yet to go to the next level. We need more eyes, we need more ears, we need more hearts and more consciousness. And that we're coming to that critical mass very soon. So I was someone who was worried about overpopulation. I no longer worry about that. From the Gaia perspective, this is going to balance out very, very nicely indeed. Well, I want to wish our audience the lifelong prayer to be fruitful and multiply and remind anyone who has been listening to the show that you're listening to Mel and Thomas, probably one of the most researched NDEers, near-death experiencers. And again, his website is Mellon, M-E-L-L-E-N hyphen Thomas, T-H-O-M-A-S. And Mellon, when you get finished with Journey Through the Light and Back, of course you're going to have to come on. You're absolutely one of my most inspired speakers. I am just so thrilled to know you, sweetheart, and it brings my soul and my heart no end of joy to be able to share you with people. And again, if you would like to contact Mellon, you want more information about him, M-E-L-L-E-N hyphen Thomas dot com. You can also go to my website, purplev.com, and order my book, You Are What You Love. And there at the end of Chapter 8 is 11 pages on Mellon's story with detail we didn't have the time to go into. And I want to remind our listening audience that next week the Wild Woman will be back. I'll open up the phone lines. I'll be taking calls from any of you that have questions about you are what you love and you love whatever you give your attention to thank you so much melon my darling thanks it's always great to be with you and blessings to everyone and to my listening audience until we do it again next week rock on babies
You've been listening to You Are What You Love with author Waishali. To order Waishali's book, You Are What You Love, or to schedule a private self-emergent session with Waishali, visit youarewhatyoulove.com. Thanks for joining us, and remember, you are what you love, and you love whatever you give your attention to. So love wisely.